Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You've reached Lorraine Nightheart at Venus Unplugged. And what we do at this uh, Blog Talk Radio is uh, explore the nature of Venus, both as an archetype in our personal life, uh, her dark and her light sides. And um, it is one of the most, to me, extraordinary influences that we have, the call towards beauty and um, its archetypal influence in everyone's life, not necessarily falling in love, but it is about love or lack of love or how do we learn love. So last week I started to explore, we're working on Persephone. And her tour of duty in the underworld, remember, she goes down as core, the seven-year-old. She comes up as queen of the underworld and has uh, kind of superpowers when she comes up. So what was going on in that underworld? Now, very often, uh, people will associate Hades or the the god of the underworld, uh, Pluto, and get it confused with death. Death is not evil. Death is death. It's just says like exit okay we're exiting one stage and going into another but evil is something very very different and the reason i'm exploring this is so that we can recognize when it is in our life or within ourselves or what are we looking at if we cannot name what we are looking at or experiencing um it's Besides the fact that it's extremely confusing and frightening, we also just don't know how to do it, how to deal with it, or is there an antidote or, or uh, an invisible cape or something that we could use when we're in the presence of uh, such events? And since there is so much happening in the world, in uh, in the world of politics, particularly, which it's interesting, the, the word politic comes from pole star. So the true politician was the person born or chosen through the tribe that understood where the North Star was. That is the star of fate. That is the star that um, seamen and, and uh, when we're being navigated on the sea, we have to always know where the North Star is. And it's not such a bad thing to know when we're on land either. So the, the North Star is the star that leads us to our fate. So this is the origin etymology of politic. So when we're experiencing or questioning who is leading us, not just in the United States, in the world, who are our leaders? Do they are they really taking the tribe or the country in, into its true fate? That's why people get so. Uh, it's it's a shamanistic term. You know, the shamans, the the tribal leaders, they were born they they with that particular image. So there's a lot going on in the world, and we are questioning much of it, as we should, and as we have a right. But uh, opinion is not enough. We need to understand what's happening. So um, left off last week in this rather 
terrifying but yet fascinating subject matter called evil. Um, that one of the feelings of, you know, how do we know that we are in the presence of evil? There's a sense of revulsion. We're revolted. Like, ooh, everything in your being goes like, ugh, you know, or, or scary, ooh. Uh, so the feeling of revulsion, okay, it, it's almost instantaneous if evil is encountered. It's that blatant. If evil is more subtle, the revulsion may develop only gradually as the relationship with the evil one slowly deepens. It's a fascinating book. It's called The Psychopath Next Door. Um, and not not all psychopaths are evil, but they can be on the spectrum. And uh, it's good to know these things. What are we looking at? Not as a pointing stick or, uh, you know, have scapegoating people. We don't, we don't want that. We need to really be able to understand what, in fact, are we looking at. So this feeling of revulsion is extremely useful in life. Uh, it's, it's somewhat of an instinctive diagnostic tool, like, ooh, nah. I'm not I'm not walking into that room or that closet or going out on a second date with that person or whatever it might be, right? Because the revulsion, it's a powerful emotion that causes us to immediately want to avoid and to escape the revolting presence. And that is exactly the most appropriate thing for a healthy person to do under ordinary circumstances when confronted uh, with an evil presence to get away from it uh, as quickly as you can. And evil is, is revolting because it's dangerous. And it contaminates or it destroys a person if we remain too long in its presence. We, we get confused. We don't know uh, what's happening in our life. or uh, it's a, our instincts will tell us, but if we're numbed for the instincts, or if we don't, if we're naive, which is just kissing cousins to numb, because the naive just says, "I don't want to know," and that's fine for children, but as adults, we need to know. By knowing it, that does not mean we're we're part of it. We're just recognizing it. That's all I'm suggesting here, uh, because otherwise um, we, we wind up getting in a whole lot of trouble. Because we, and then we will tend to, in a sense, sin against ourselves. We betray ourselves because we will not listen to the instinct, the one that says, "Oh, but oh, it's so beautiful, it's so handsome. How could they possibly be evil?" Well, they are. And so, uh, you know, the devil wears Armani, so don't worry about it. So when it's evil and sin, all right, now sin is, a, is a, it's actually an archery term. It means missing the mark. So when we get that combo platter of evil and sin, what are we looking at? You know, like ordinary sin, like, the, you know, the I guess... I guess, what were they called? Venial sins, I think they were called. I'm trying to remember that part. Um, you know, there's white lies and all that type of stuff. That's just 
being able to be accountable. But when there's really something off, see, it's it's not their sins. That doesn't particularly characterize evil people. It's rather the subtlety and the persistence and the consistency of their sins. They keep on doing the same thing. It's like, well, they didn't know. Well, some part of them knows because they're incredible shots. How can they hurt people again and again? And uh, on some level, not know. They don't want. To, they don't want to know. But certainly, you can know because you're at the effect of that of that issue or that abuse or that crazy logic that says, "Well, if you were perfect, I I wouldn't have to abuse you because you wouldn't annoy me or whatever the thinking is." In most abusive situations, it's the way a person thinks. It's not necessarily emotionally uh, disturbed. They think they have the right to hurt you. Uh, and uh, no, it's not because their heart was broken or they were left in an orphanage or whatever number of reasons people have for just being cruel. It's like, no, it's the way they think. They think they're entitled to make you suffer. And whatever that whatever that punishment is, you just need to be quiet and take it. And we're learning, you know, the next couple of years are gonna be very interesting and, and it's gonna be pretty much a scrambled egg of chaos and and uh very often unwanted experiences but necessary experiences, probably to about mm, let me see, this is January sixteenth, I would say to the end of April. So it's it ain't over till it's over, and uh, but part of all this energy that's being kicked up and turned around, we need to see where and what is going on. Now, criminals aren't necessarily evil. Okay, someone commits a crime is usually they've got their own reasons for it, but it's not evil is is relatively rare. But you know it when you see it or you know it when you're in the presence of it. So being able to understand, one of the things that Jung sees it as, uh, Uncle Carl Jung, right, is uh, he feels that evil is the failure to meet the shadow. Now the shadow is not necessarily evil, but it's where it would hide in the unknown parts. This is why often people do not want to engage in the shadow, whether they know it or not, it's happening anyway, because it's like, ooh, that's scary. No, it's not scary if you know what you're looking at. It's just like if you, you know, if you had a cut and it got infected. It's like, oh, really hurts, it's really scary. But I'm going to take care of it. So the whole point of this exploring this uh, field of evil is so that we can heal it or heal ourselves from the effects of it, which is even probably more important because most people are evil. They just cannot face what they're up to. So if we've been exposed to it, it's chilling. It's bone chilling. And it happens. 
so one of the things uh, also about evil and that we're going to put it in relationship to to sin, which is a, it's a sin is a concept uh, that is set up that means uh, it's the the broad definition is missing the mark. This means that we sin every time we fail to hit the bullseye. Sin is nothing more and nothing less than a failure to be continually perfect. Perfect meaning all our parts. That's also the etymology of perfect. People perceive perfection as just one glowing, perfect image. It's not. Perfection is shadow and light. We see both sides, right? And because it's impossible for us to be continually perfect and probably boring on top of it, you know, we all get to be sinners, at least in this um, definition. And it's we're not accusing one of being a sinner. We are just pretty much always right close to the area code. And because we very often, we, we fail to do the very best, of which we're capable and with each failure, we commit kind of a crime of sorts against God or our neighbors or ourselves because we have the possibility we could have chosen differently. But sometimes we're lazy. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to hold up that moral compass. What do I have to do that for? Everybody else is doing it. Um, you know what? That's, that's not good enough. You know better. We intrinsically know the difference. Whether we choose the difference, that's something else. So, and the lies and the portrayals to ourselves as equally these are sins against ourselves. We miss the mark against ourselves. We know we can take the higher moral ground. Uh, we don't have to revenge. Or we can give revenge a place where we can symbolically uh, live it out, right, through active imagination or through allowing it the revenge to um, have its fantasy, Say, now, thank you very much. But if I act on that, then I'm participating. But if we if we see evil and don't act, then we're very much part of the evil. So, you know, moral compasses are very fragile in the sense of their perception. It's It always knows, even if you're asleep, or you have it hidden or didn't even know what the hell it was, I'm sure we should have an app <laughs> about a moral compass, which would be kind of cool. Uh, but when we lie to ourselves, or we, we kid ourselves, or we're less than we could be, which is self-betrayal. So, But when we can be perfectly honest with ourselves, you, you can realize, like, no... No, I know better. I just was too tired or preoccupied or whatever it was that we we didn't do our finest. That was not our moment of finest. And sometimes it's not our moment of finest because the shadow 
which is not evil in and of itself. It can be where evil hides, uh, which tricks us. So we do something, and then when we kind of wake up, like, what the hell was I thinking? Sometimes that's the trickster who says, you know, you got to wake up to this shit. You know, your rage is going to get you in trouble. Now, there's personal rage, and then there's archetypal rage. And when people blow with that archetypal rage, they're possessed and usually pretty brutal and pretty punishing. Personal rage, we can get really furious about something. We can have our little performance piece, but we can then drop it. But when we can't drop it, it's archetypal. So these forces are so much greater. And then people think that they, are, they identify with, with the archetype or a divinity and think they're all powerful. And then that's uh, inflation. And that never fares well. Inflation and hubris. Mm. When you come crashing down to the earth, very often feel sorry for the person because it's like, whoa, man. There, but for the grace of God, go I, right? So, when there's a consistency of with somebody in your life or something that you're watching or behavior, okay, the person who can be, in a sense, on their way to evil, you know, sometimes it happens gradually. Very few people are born evil, but it's uh, we slip into it until eventually we just don't know the difference, and it just seems all hunky dory. So when we cross over the line, it's the absolute refusal to tolerate uh, their own sense of sinfulness, which is why we have guilt, you know, authentic guilt, not not the guilt. that um, doesn't really have value. You know, we could have a really develop a, a mental habit of feeling guilty. I feel bad. What does that mean? You feel bad. Very often, the person is saying they are bad, and that's usually the child within who says, "You know, I'm bad. I don't, I don't understand this, so I must be the bad one." Evil loves that loves when people will take on um, unwanted uh, suffering. So, you know, this is also why we have forgiveness, and this is also why we have self-forgiveness, which all work in our world of missing the mark. But when there are people in the sense that they're poor in spirit, it's, it's they do not commit evil. You know, evil is uh, committed by people who feel uncertain about their righteousness and who question their own motives and who worry about betraying themselves. So it, when we do have that doubt or we do have that guilt or we do have that questioning, okay, you're, you're fine. You're not being the the conduit. 
but the evil in this world is committed by uh, kind of the spiritual fat cats, the Pharisees, the uh, of our day, the self-righteous who think that they are without sin because they are unwilling to suffer the discomfort of significant self-examination. That's one of the most important things to recognize. The scapegoating factor. Uh, And the evil do not and will not uh, bear the trial of being displeasing to themselves. Hence, take it. I didn't do that. Somebody else did that. Or, well, if my mother wasn't a drunk, I wouldn't be this way. No, it's not because your mother had had a wound or an addiction. It's because of the refusal for self-examination. Or at least ask the question. How was I part of this? What was this about? So, and very often, evil and greed kind of hang out together. I'm talking about greed. I'm not just talking about overindulgence. People who just, they have kind of a wickedness. Everything is about just, you know, money is not the root to all evil. Greed is the root to all evil. And when we can't tolerate a sense of our own sinfulness, the evil one becomes uncorrectable and grab and, and like as grab bags of sin. For instance, uh, you know, if there's remarkably greedy people, they also tend to be cheap, so cheap that their gifts may be murderous in some ways. In some ways, most sin is laziness. You know, we know better, which is just for like getting it up together uh, to do the right thing. But there's also that can be pride because you know sins. It's just it's missing the mark. It doesn't mean you crucify yourself. You shot the arrow. You missed the mark. It was like oh. I have to look at that, you know, I have to be a little more precise. What am I shooting and what am I going for here? Okay. So, but pride, you know, all sins are repairable, except the sin of believing one is without sin. That's the big sin, that you're without sin. Dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. We're part of this human experience or experiment. And so um, those who think they're without sin, well, they have a lot to learn. That doesn't necessarily make them evil. It can make them naive. It certainly can make them narcissistic. It certainly, uh, but when somebody is like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you might want to step back and step away because you can't correct them. The only thing you can correct is not participating. So the behavior, one of the greatest tricks of the trade of evil is scapegoating. Because in their hearts, you know, they consider themselves above reproach. There's the pride. And they must lash out at anyone uh, 
who just reproach them. They sacrifice others to preserve their own self-image of perfection. They'll throw you under the bus, they'll throw you to the wolves, whatever whatever way you want to see it. Scapegoating works through a mechanism uh, called projection. And do they do they see that in you? Yeah, sure. Or in me, sure. Is it accurate? No. And if you know yourself, and you and if you know, well, you know, okay. If it was this, you know, these are the sins I'm really capable of. I know that, but that, no, no, and and that's a very important part of maturing, where we begin to understand when the scapegoating is happening, or the scapegoating, uh, the projection. You know, since the evil down deep feel themselves to be faultless. It is inevitable that when they are in conflict with the world, they will inevitably perceive the conflict as the world's fault. The world did this to me. If life were better, because they have to deny that badness within themselves, they perceive others as bad. And this we can see on, on the world in the world, on the world, through the world. There's all different levels of this. But evil projects their own evil onto the world. They never think of themselves as evil, and on the other hand, they consequently see much evil in others. So, of course, we always ask the question, what am I really looking at here? Is this a, possibly, could this be a projection? Could I mean, these are all ways to that we use our moral compass before you point a finger what what's going on in you because people can say some outrageous things and do outrageous things absolutely light, righteous and be completely off the mark but they're busy blaming people and if and if other people don't know What's happening, they, they can't see it coming. And when it does come, they don't know how to defend themselves. Which is another thing. If we see evil, another person being uh, the vehicle of, of someone else's evil, it is our moral sense to at least would not necessarily want to go against the evil. People don't want to get involved, and I certainly can understand that, but we can do something to protect or warn a person, or just name it, and just, wait, that's not cool. That's definitely, you're making a person carry your, your suffering, that you, what you don't want to see. Okay. So evil is often committed in order to scapegoat. And they're chronic scapegoaters. In, in the book, The Road Less Travel, by uh, Scott Peck, E-C-K. Uh, he finds that evil, uh, it's, it's like in the exercise of political power, uh, the imposition of one's will uh, over, upon others by overt or convert coercion in order to avoid their own spiritual growth. 
in other words, the evil attacks others instead of facing their own failures. Spiritual growth requires the acknowledgement of one's need to grow. If we cannot make that acknowledgement, we have no option except to attempt to eradicate the evidence of our imperfection. So when I say spirituality here, it's not necessarily a belief system. It's a moral system. So much is covered up in our spiritual uh, rancor, our spiritual uh, laws. It is the person who is willing to ask of themselves, wait a second, where, where do I need to grow spiritually? Where I, you know, and strangely, you know, evil people are often uh, destruct because they're attempting to destroy evil. That's called burning your own house down. What is that going to do? So they misplace the locus or the beginning of the evil instead of destroying others they should be destroying the sickness within themselves and that's part of what this is about it's like how can it be healed if we are in the presence of evil how do we heal that can it be healed or is it best just to disengage so that and so many crimes to oneself we sin against ourselves with the concept of perfection, which is rampant. People starve themselves to death to be thin or endangering their bodies in some way for some ideal form that somebody that they might get love. Love is love. Loving actions you get 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 your love. And if and if it doesn't get your love then you give it. And you'll receive it in another way. So Part of this issue is that we need to recognize what we're looking at. And this comes in so many different ways, and we're going to be seeing a lot of it. It's going to be blatant, which is why I want to bring this rather uncomfortable um, issue into our lives because we need to be able to understand what this is about. So our appearance, uh, that's another thing very often. Well, it, it, narcissism, now not, narcissism does not make you evil. Your, narcissism is also a wound, but very often there is such strong, uh, impenetrable narcissistic defenses with evil people that it's impossible to get them to see. Our job, what we can do, is when we're around it, when we've been exposed, very often we will protect an abuser. When that's really, they really have done great evil to the development of someone else. You don't go around them. Or, or pity them. Just get away. So we will continue with this rather important subject matter. Till next week. Bye-bye.